0: Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and thanks for joining us. Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. It's a new daily news and culture show about and from Brooklyn, America's fourth largest city. Our lineup for the show today, a former NFL player and NYC-based activist helps us understand what's going on with protesting NFL players and politics. And with the fifth anniversary of Superstorm Sandy coming up this weekend, a Saturday march calling for action to protect the city against the effects of climate change. Finally, we'll learn about the Grassroots Crown Heights Film Festival. But a few things first. It's been called the Great Brooklyn Voter Purge in national media. More than 100,000 voters removed from Brooklyn's voter rolls before the primary last November, meaning people showed up at the polls and were told they couldn't vote. Our Board of Elections is now in settlement talks over a lawsuit and has acknowledged in a draft consent decree that it violated local and federal law on how it conducted the purge. They say this will lead to sweeping reforms and review of its process. But what to do if you were purged? We reached out to the City Board of Elections and they sent us a statement saying, no comment until the court approves the consent decree then they told us all purged voters were restored over a year ago. If you still have a question about your status, you can call 1-866-VOTE-NYC to check. Did we call? Yep. And? We reached a human. That's encouraging. Well, this is pretty cool. Construction crews working on a pedestrian ramp in Borum Hill uncovered a stone well reaching nearly four stories in depth at the corner of Pacific and Bond. It's the same location as Fort Box, a Revolutionary War-era fort that was overtaken by the Redcoats during the Battle of Brooklyn in 1776. The discovery is so fresh that neighbors are strategizing over what to do about the well until an expert can confirm its origin and figure out how to preserve it. Well, well, well. Red Hook has surpassed Dumbo as Brooklyn's priciest neighborhood for real estate. Red Hook? The one-time semi-industrial neighborhood with no street lights and no subway? The place taxis, if they even knew where it was, especially if they knew what it was, wouldn't even take you there? Well, they have street lights now, box stores, and apparently recent sale prices averaging nearly $2 million. That's a lot of money. On Tuesday, Mayor de Blasio announced meatless Mondays at 15 Brooklyn schools. That means no more sloppy joes, hamburgers, and bacon in school breakfasts and lunches at these select locations. Instead, say hello to hummus, spinach wraps, and even chickpea tagines. For his part, de Blasio said in solidarity he'd even forgo meat on Monday at his house, Gracie Mansion. We'll be back in a moment to talk NFL and politics. Last year, San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the playing of the national anthem before games. His protest against racial injustice drew national attention, but he paid for his freedom of expression with his job. No team will sign him. This year, other players have continued to protest, and President Trump took issue in a recent speech calling players who don't stand, sons of bitches, and said they should be fired. Here to talk about what the protest is really about and why this platform matters is former NFL player and activist Wade Davis. Wade, thank you so much for coming on
1: to 112BK. Thank you for having me. Every time someone says son of a bitch, I just start laughing because I it's so ridiculous. I can't
0: imagine what would even end, like, <laughs> motivate a person to use that language in that circumstance, I but can. also, In this administration, I've learned not to be, even if I'm startled, I'm not shocked. (laughs) I'm not surprised. Um, So just starting out, uh, give me some of your initial feelings on the fact that so many people who are against this protest continue, continue to not actually wanna talk about why the protesters are protesting.
1: I would say that if they actually talked about why men and women in pro sports are protesting. They would actually have to own that something in America is still happening, right? Mm-hmm. And they're actually seeing the extinguishing of black and brown bodies live on television as if they're watching an actual game, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a beautiful pivot. Um, and it's a way that, 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 they can have, that they can sleep at night for a second, saying that, hey, I'm going to bed knowing that these black and brown folks Are protesting against my flag, and it's and they're being unpatriotic, and it's just the way they help them sleep, honestly.
0: Right, and there's a language thing there as well. You know, I keep hearing people say how these players should be grateful, you know, and how (laughs) you know they're living these amazing lives that could only happen in America. And so they should be grateful for that opportunity, but the thing, you know, as a woman of color, as somebody, you know, who has definitely stayed abreast (laughs) on race issues, because clearly they pertain to me, um, one of the things that keeps bothering me about the language used is that it doesn't seem too far from using the word uppity.
1: So I would say that we see athletes as products, Mm -hmm. actual products who are there to deliver service and shut up and do, Mm nothing else, and that they should be grateful, right? right. That, that one, that, that they have a job, that they um, are being paid a lot of money, right? So mm-hmm. it is almost like you're being paid to provide a service, and that's all that you're there for. You're mm-hmm. not human. You don't have a personality, a thought that I care about. But what I do care about is that, you, is that I can turn on my TV and see these black and brown bodies being broken mm-hmm. for my enjoyment. And yeah. therefore, you don't you don't have a say so in this world, and you never have. So why do you think that you right. should have one now? And then do it on my time. Right. Yeah.
0: There's also this assertion that the players are being um, spoiled, arrogant. <laughs> You're as if someone handed them money, yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah. doing nothing. As if they're, they're actually um, not
1: doing a job?
0: As if they're not doing yeah. a job as well. There's actually uh, this clip with Newt Gingrich that we're going to play right now, okay. where he talks a little bit about that perception.
2: Watching people, who young guys who are multi-millionaires explain that the country hasn't been good to them, I suspect there are millions of Americans who look at these very arrogant young millionaires. Let's be clear, that's what they are. They're arrogant young millionaires who think that they should now basically inflict their politics in what has been historically a non-political moment.
0: It's a hard one to watch. There's this idea that you can be so rich that it can negate your experience of being black in America.
1: I would say that there are some folks of color, right, who uh, traffic in respectability, right, Mm -hmm. who do not want to talk about these issues um, and would agree with Mm -hmm. what Gingrich said. But what they don't understand is that most of my former and current teammates like myself grew up in communities where they were policed, trafficked, surveilled, treated as if they were nothing. And what Gendrick wants is for the American public, for the owners to keep their foot on their necks Mm. and say, hey, you don't even deserve to be here. I'm letting you come here. I'm right. I, I'm giving you this platform, but also know I can take it away at any point. And I think that that's what we're seeing with with Colin Kaepernick, right? I think um, that what's beautiful is that you have NFL players um, who are following. And I want to be intentional. WNBA players, mm-hmm. women who risk it all. And I don't think that the women of the WNBA are given enough credit for what right. they did. And I think it's typical that black women for their labor are never given the the credit for the work that they have have put in to inspire men like myself because if you look at um if you look at a lot of the language that the I mean that that the male players are are using it's feminist language right mm-hmm. it's a feminist lens so i want to also really uplift the women like yourself like mm-hmm. others who have who have who have given us a, the code to actual follow to make sure that we understand what the importance of protest is, right. uh, to make sure that when someone tries to tell us that we can't do this and we can't uh, do that, we stand affirmed in our own humanness mm-hmm. and don't have to traffic in, in, in respectability. Right. And also
0: stand firm and you know, just what is reality. Yes. You know, one of the things that I didn't know until recently was that playing the national anthem at NFL games was not something that became, you know, regular and yeah. consistent until around two thousand nine. Um, even though, you know, we know now that the first national anthem played at a baseball game was in Brooklyn in really? the eighteen hundreds. No. Yes. It's like Brooklyn. Always, right? always standing up. <laughs> always, always. BK first, but I mean, but for real. Um, But the interesting thing to me there is that in a lot of these cases, the people who disagree with the protests, the people who say that Cap got what he deserved, they don't even, in a lot of cases, know or understand the history of national anthem and sports being integrated together.
1: I would say most of these people don't know the history of anything in this country past 1998, right? All that they know is that these black and brown folks are actually standing up in their power, right? Feeling like that they do have a voice to say things. I would also say that one of the good outcomes, right, and and I'm a part of this, is that um, the NFL specifically is working tirelessly to talk to these athletes, there's an organization called Rise who was started by the owner of the Dolphins that I Great. worked for. Um, and we spent a lot of time really talking to athletes, trying to understand, like, what are your actual needs and your wants? And one of their biggest things is that, hey, they want the NFL to treat what's happening to communities of color similar to they do veterans, right? Mm-hmm. Or, the, or the, that they would breast cancer. And one of those outcomes is that you're seeing owners now who are doing ride-alongs, who are actually mm-hmm. spending mm-hmm. times in communities of color trying to understand, like, I get it a little bit better now. I'm removing right. that distance between me being worth $10, million, $10 billion and you who right. may come from a community where you have seven brothers and sisters and, and you still have to go back there. And no one knows that you're an NFL player. All that they know is that you're a black man in a community that we don't see as being worth anything right. but being a policed and mm-hmm. shot and killed.
0: Right. Yeah. And you're doing this work, like you're out in the community. I mean, but I'm looking at the work that you've done, and I'm fascinated. You know, after you left the NFL, you invited people in yeah, to the, yeah. your conversation um, about being a gay man, and there's and again that language thing when you invite people yeah. in versus coming out. Like, is that something? That as you continue to do this work, where you're promoting feminism, you're um, pro- promoting like this idea that people should really think about masculinity yeah. and how it affects the lives of men, not just in sports yeah. but in their communities, and you're doing all that right here. Um, How are you inviting people in, and how are people reacting to that invitation?
1: So, one, I want to kind of flip the name of our friend, Mr. Darnell Moore, for for creating that language of inviting in. He's a close friend of mine, and it's important that we realize that people who are LGBTQ have always been there. right Right? but the world hasn't been safe enough for us to invite them into our daily lives Mm -hmm. so my work now is to really is to give back in in ways like I have a lot of power privilege and access and I've been taught to give that shit up right Mm -hmm. and how do I show up in the world where I'm willing to take real risk right Mm -hmm. Um, how do I make sure that um, that when I use the language of Britney Cooper saying emotional language that I actually give her her credit. And I'm sorry, that's Dr. Brittany Cooper, right? How do I make sure that I'm really um, walking in the, in the world the way that I've been been taught? Because I just got here. like right. I wasn't this feminist, you know, back in 2004 playing in the NFL. Like, I was trafficking in patriarchy, right? And I'm right. just really fortunate to have had people who have um, given me language, who have invested in me, who have called me in. Um, so that I can start to do work that really makes me feel like I'm making um, an impact in this world.
0: Wade, thank you so much for this conversation and for being here and for the work that you're doing. We're all going to benefit from it. And I'm just super, super grateful for you right now. Um, After a short break, Sandy, five years later. It's been almost five years since Superstorm Sandy hit New York, killing 53 and causing $32 billion of damage to the state. Many New Yorkers are still recovering from the financial devastation, and the city is still undergoing repairs. Residents are worried that we're not ready for the next major storm, and that we're in fact not even addressing climate change, which most scientists believe is responsible for increased incidents of extreme weather events. Here to tell us about a call to action for the city to protect its citizens against the effects of climate change is community organizer Nancy Romer. Thank you for joining us on 112BK, Nancy. I wanted to just start by asking you five years ago here in Brooklyn, what was it like after Sandy hit?
3: Well, uh, in my own home, mm-hmm. I was safe and secure. We didn't, we didn't get a, a, a huge impact of Sandy. But we did put up some people who were tremendously impacted. We put up mm-hmm. a couple about to have a baby. Their street was flooded in, in Red Hook. And they wanted to be near the hospital mm-hmm. that they were going to deliver it. Right. They were scared to death that they would be flooded out while she was about to deliver. Right. We also put up a whole bunch of people from uh, lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so struck during Sandy about how many poor people and people mm. of color were, were harmed most significantly right. by, by the floods, by the storm surge, by the hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so impressed with the Red Hook Initiative and, and how that community pulled together to help itself, help each right. other. and. Um, I was also uh, I, I served as a, an assistant in, in one of the big high schools in Brooklyn mm-hmm. that was serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner to the 800 people that they were housing for two, month, two, uh, sorry, for two weeks. Right. And those people were so bereft. They were sleeping on cots in, in the high school. And some of the people uh, were just really falling apart. We right. saw families with kids. And that's going to happen again, because the city mm-hmm. and the state are doing very little to protect us from the hurricanes and the storm surge that will happen and the rising waters. We expect the the, the sea level to rise five to,
0: three to five feet mm-hmm. in uh, the next 30 years. And awareness of that situation is why what's happening this weekend is happening and why the coalition is doing this march across the Brooklyn Bridge. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you guys came to the conclusion that walking across the Brooklyn Bridge and that specific act was right for this cause?
3: Well, I think that the most important thing is the coalition, you know, Mm -hmm. who's in the coalition. We have about 140 organizations, not all of them. In fact, most of them are not mostly um, dedicated to environmental issues, a small number are, but the vast majority are community organizations, unions, faith organizations, but they mm-hmm. see how their people, how our people, right. are, are, uh, have been affected and will be affected. They understand
0: there's an issue.
3: They understand there's an issue, and, and what I'm hoping is that this wonderful coalition will mm-hmm. stay together and keep together and start addressing the big issues that are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this Sandy Five coalition, if people want to go to the website, it's Sandy, spelled out, S-A-N-D-Y, and then right. the number five dot org they can see all these organizations. Maybe they'll have been in one of those organizations and it will encourage them to come out. But we wanted to have something that's very public, very accessible Mm -hmm. to say, do something now, this is urgent. We can't put this off. The city and state have to address this
0: urgently. So just bringing this back to climate change and um, specifically to the climate treaty, um, the Paris Accords, what can the u s. be doing right now, because, you know the President is saying that we're pulling out of the Paris, the Paris Accords. But at a state level, there are many states saying that you know, they're going to stay in the Paris Accords and that we're going to continue to do that work. What could we be doing here in New York specifically to promote that?
3: Well, both the city and state have said we are going to stick by the climate accords, but mm-hmm. they have neither. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for for de Blasio, mm-hmm. but he hasn't really made a strong commitment to climate change right. and, and Cuomo much less so. Mm. So what we're asking the city and state to do, we have to be able to do something to protect the city from what will be storm surges and hurricanes in the future. Very little has been done. of the emissions, the carbon emissions in New York City are caused Mm -hmm. by the big buildings. We need to retrofit them, require (sighs) retrofitting. That's a big jobs, big Mm -hmm. jobs effort too. A lot of people could be hired. If you go to the communities most affected, the communities that have been marginalized, train those people to have those jobs and retrofit those buildings, that would be an incredible initiative to happen they need to be union jobs so that people get good benefits not right. a fly-by-night organization that's going to hire and fire but that's going to have a commitment to those workers and lift those communities right. we need to divest we have almost four billion dollars in our new york city public worker pension funds really? in fossil fuels in fossil fuels A, the value of fossil fuels going down, harming Mm -hmm. the pensions. B, it's so immoral for us to be investing our hard-earned money into something that's going to make the future impossible for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Right. And everyone's great-grandchildren. Absolutely. So we have to get out of the fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. And we have to make what we're calling a just transition. In this state, we have Mm -hmm. a Community and Climate Protection Act that's calling for a, a polluter's tax. Mm-hmm. Those who are emitting carbon, the, the the fossil fuel industry, and all the others, they need to pay for the recovery. We need Absolutely. to be in 100% renewable energy by 20. 20- 50. I'd like Mm -hmm. to see it much earlier, but Mm -hmm. that's what the New York Renews Coalition is is uh, demanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to uh, divest from fossil fuels again at the state level. So we've got a lot of work to do.
0: A lot of work to do.
3: And we got to do it now, not tomorrow.
0: So I'm guessing that a lot of people are going to hear you talking about this and are going to immediately wonder what they can do and how they can get involved to um, promote these initiatives and also to just stay more aware of how these things are working in our state. Can you give those people some information about how they can do that?
3: Absolutely. First of all, Saturday they should go to sandy5.org website mm-hmm. and get all of the demands, get all of the organizations and all the plans that we have for Saturday. That's the first thing. So Saturday, we are meeting at uh, Cadman Plaza Park, mm-hmm. which is um, in downtown Brooklyn, right by the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock on Saturday. So come there, and then we will we'll have music and art, and we'll march over the Brooklyn Bridge together. We will end up at the Smith Public Houses, which is right mm-hmm. behind the municipal building in in downtown in, in Lower Manhattan, mm-hmm. and there'll be another rally there. Um, everything's going to be very family-friendly, dog-friendly. You know, mm-hmm. Bring your, your crew with you. Bring a sign if you want. Um, wear blue if you can, uh, so that we'll make a, a point about the waters rising.
0: That's excellent.
3: Um, And then there are all these great organizations that have signed on. Mm -hmm. Join one of those organizations or join two of those organizations and make sure that they stick with the coalition that's going to build the future together.
0: Nancy, thank you so much for being here and for that wonderful information that we all need. Um, Thank you. Up next, the Crown Heights Film Festival. Stay with us. There must be a dozen film festivals in Brooklyn, which is great. There's the Art of Brooklyn Film Festival, the Bushwick Film Festival, the Brooklyn Film Festival, of course, even the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. And now among the ranks is the Crown Heights Film Festival. Cynthia Chapman is one of the festival's organizers, and she's going to tell us about its second installment, which begins on October 26th. Cynthia, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. So I was just wondering, how does a public school arts teacher become the organizer of a film festival?
2: First of all, retired. Retired! So that's the key word, retired (laughs) post (laughs) arts teacher. Well, it started several years ago when I wanted to to mount an exhibition for my students' artwork. Mm -hmm. And a colleague of mine told me about Five Miles Gallery. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I met Hannah Tierney and she and I developed a a friendship. Right. one day I was just talking to her, I said, did you ever hear of the Crown Heights Film Festival? She said, yeah, we used to do it right here. I'm like, really, let's bring it back. So it's been resurrected and, and that's how it started. And the reason I thought of doing a film festival is because mm-hmm. I, I, I make films, I, I, I write screenplays as a hobby and make short films. And, uh, and so you know, the now, art, the film thing, and it came together. And,
0: and You're saying hobby. Yeah. But I heard director of one of the films. Yeah, I wrote it. It's in the festival. And
2: I, and I directed it mm-hmm. to the you know, best of my ability, mm-hmm. and, uh, and,
0: and I, I'm pleased with it. It's, it's, it's fun, it's a, it's a laugh, you know? Yeah. yeah. We actually have a clip from it, I think, don't we, Ross?
2: We do, yeah. Can I, we cue that, that up?
0: Tony, can you get some milk out of the refrigerator? Sure. We'll eat upstairs.
3: Jessica, can I speak to you for a minute?
0: Alone? Yeah.
3: Did he sleep here? Yes. Yes, he did. You don't waste any time, do you? How old is he? 27. That's a little young for you, isn't it? Is that a question? You don't know anything about him and you bring him to our
2: home, it's not safe. Not safe? How many times have you left your keys in the door? Yeah, but that's not intentional. Tell the burglars that.
3: Well, if you're going to bring home strays, maybe you should live alone.
2: And if you want things your way
3: all the time, maybe you should live alone. What? What do you mean by that? Don't walk away
0: from me. I'm hooked already. I want to yeah. see more. I want to know more about what's going on there. Can you talk to me a little bit, of maybe about that clip and about the general premise of the film? Well,
2: the, the movie's called Sandra, and it's based on someone I used to know who had a particular way of being annoying. Even something was blatantly obvious, like that guy coming downstairs. Did he sleep here? Right. Uh, yeah, he did. You know, <laughs> so. It, she's she's jealous of her roommate's got this cute new boyfriend and 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 some other things are going on around the, the house but I can't give too much away because right. I don't spoil it so um, yeah it's about uh, a woman who's lonely and, and naturally annoying mm-hmm. and, and how she deals with this rampant jealousy right and and, uh, and yeah. some, some other... Oh, I Odd get it. things going on.
0: I think a lot of us <laughs> want to get that. But can you tell me really quickly um, how somebody wants to come see this film, they want to come enjoy the festival, how does that work for them?
2: Well uh, tomorrow it starts mm-hmm. and it, it's at seven o'clock at mm-hmm. Five Miles ga- Gallery and it's going to be Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights mm-hmm. starting at seven o'clock and it will run about an hour and a half and afterwards, there'll be a little wine reception, uh, opportunity for people to talk with the directors and actors, mm-hmm. whoever they want to talk to. Wow! And, and it's, it's a nice event. It, yes. it was it was really well attended last year, and we expect good crowd this year as well
0: well good luck I can't wait to hear more about it I can't wait to you know I'm thinking now that I might stop by Um, so thank you for joining us today so 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 much thank Thank you for joining us Cynthia and thank you for joining us next time Jabari Brisport Green Party candidate for the 35th City Council District and more on Superstorm Sandy both in art and activism see you then and if your friends, loved ones, cats, dogs, etc. miss the broadcast, please have them tune in to the podcast on SoundCloud. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, Shereen Bargie, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer, and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Haugasek. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Lee, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure to subscribe at soundcloud.com slash 112BK. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.